For the last eight weeks or so, we've been talking about the manifold grace of God in 1 Peter chapter 4 and 10. And matter of fact, we found out the word manifold is a, is a Greek word that basically means that it's a variety of ways. And for some of you, you thought that God only had one grace. And we're learning he has several layers of grace. Polykulos is a word in the Greek. It means layers, degrees, shades, a variety of ways. Not only God has grace to save us, but he got, we've learned that he's got a provenient grace. Long before we were even aware that God was even on the planet, he had his hand upon us. We're going to learn before long about sanctifying grace, and we're going to learn about justifying grace, but God has a variety of ways of grace. And so the first one we talked about, there's many. And the, so the word grace is a word called Charis or haris is the translation. It means it was a political word before it was a religious word, the word grace. And it's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S like charis, where we get a word for charismatics, which means spiritual gifts. But that's really a, a mispronunciation. It's haris. And it was a political term. And it means by definition that the superior renders to the inferior. And so the good news, the Apostle Paul adopts this word and uses the word grace so many times. And this is what he said. Whatever that you have need of and you don't have any ways to get it, God is more than enough. And if you need salvation, he's got it. And if you need healing for your mind, he's got it. And blessed are you that are poor in spirit. It means you're bankrupt. You don't have anything. The good news is that even though you have nothing, God has it all. The problem we get into is when we think that we can attain or achieve certain things and then we don't need God. I know you've never said that, but it's a very dangerous way to live your life. And so I don't know about you, but I still love the lifestyle of depending upon the grace of God. So last week we began this work called one of the graces that God gives is called prayer. And so grace is a gift. And so we know about Ephesians. We are saved by grace through faith, not the works of any man should boast. Grace is a gift, but grace is more than just gifts of salvation. Grace has many ways that he, God will reveal himself to you because he's a giver of all things. So whatever you may need today, that, that even though you don't have it, the good news is God has got it. So this is what the word manifold grace Last week for about an hour and not today because I got to finish last week. We talked about one of the gifts that God gives us is called. It was the it's the most unappreciated and the unused gift that God has ever given the church. And it's called prayer. Prayer. Prayer is so unappreciated and it's the most unused gift that God has given to us as his people. Really? And so last week, not this week, but last week, I spent a long time. We found out that prayer to our spirit is like air to our body. You won't last long without it. And prosuke is a word we found out last week. It means to be in front of the face of God. Pros, it means in front of and suke's face. It means to be in the face of God. And remember the facial feature, two ears, one mouth. A successful prayer life is you doing twice as much listening as you do talking. Because I've heard what you have to say, and it ain't that big a deal. But I'll tell you, what, when God says something, it'll change our life. So last week, we talked about prayer. 
And this week we're going to finish it. It's found. We're going to get to it. But I made a statement last week and then somebody said, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked what that means. In Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. And there are plans for good and not for disaster and to give you a hope, a future and a hope. Now, we're pretty well acquainted with this verse. But here's the deal. Not only does God have plans for your life, but your enemy has a plan for your life as well. The devil is making plans not for you to succeed, but for you to surrender. And if you're sitting here and you're so naive to the thing that you don't think that, and we all say, I think God's got plans for my life. But if you're so naive to think that your enemy is sitting back while you go through your Christian life, I got some ocean up, ocean from property in Kansas I'd like to sell you this morning. Your enemy is making plans to destroy you. And he's been making plans to destroy you since you hit this planet. And if you think God is patient, your enemy is patient. He's been around a long time. And he's had a lot of practice dealing with God's people. Wow. So this morning, what I'd like to do, when, I, when you say that, that God is a giver and Satan is, is a stealer, but, but this idea that your enemy, the devil, we'll talk about this, we're going to break it down, but your enemy, he wants you to surrender and he wants you to absolutely quit, give up, Stick a fork in me, I'm done. Not that you've said that, but you might have said that on the way to church this morning. What's the use? Nothing's going to change. So I'm glad you're here this morning because you need to hear this today. St. John chapter 10, verse 10, before we get to prayer. We'll get to prayer in a minute. The thief cometh not to steal, but to kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and you may have life more abundantly. So we know this for a fact that if God is a giver, which he is, then Satan is a taker or a stealer of what God gives. God's nature is to give. Our enemy's nature is to steal what God has given. Okay. The idea this morning, your enemy, that he wants to destroy your job. He wants to destroy your joy. He wants to destroy your happiness. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your marriage, your ministry, your finances, your family. Your enemy, the devil, is after your future. Don't ever say the words, what else could go wrong? Don't ever say that. And isn't it amazing that when the boat is about to be sunk by waves, the Bible said it was in the midst of the sea. It's amazing that your enemy will always let you get in the middle of something before he'll start bringing havoc on your life. Oh, he'll let you start good. Oh, people say, oh, you're great. You're the most specialist person I've ever met. About halfway into that thing, you know what happens. Hell breaks out. Your enemy is making plans to destroy you. Even as we speak right now, your enemy of your life, he wants your home. He wants your family. He wants your joy. 
He wants your marriage. He wants your happiness. He wants it. You know why he wants it? Because he hates God. There's only one way to, to heaven, and that way is Jesus Christ and him alone. That's it. Only one way. It's not by your works, your performance, your long hair, short hair, long dress or short dress. No makeup or, or makeup piled two inches thick. That will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Only Jesus Christ will. But your enemy hates you because you are recipients of God's goodness. That's it. There's nothing special about you. But it's not necessarily you. It never was about you. It was about the gifting that God gave you. Your enemy will attack you because God has given you something. God has graced you with something. Not only salvation, but maybe a, a joyful spirit and a happy heart and, and, and all these things. And once your enemy sees that you can be happy even in, while you're hurting, he's, he's making plans to destroy you. Make no mistake about it. And we'll talk about that. So if you don't know this, we're going to give you a quick 90 second Bible study. Lucifer is his name. Satan is what he does. And the devil is the, is the result of it. So I want to clear this up to you. When it says that the devil, that's not his name. That's the result of what he's doing. So Lucifer is his name. Okay. Satan is what he does. The, the word for Satan means accuser of the brethren. One, he accuses the brethren. One who constantly accuses those that God has given grace to. Now, the word devil is the word called diabolos. The word bolo means to throw and dia, it means to penetrate through. So you've heard me say this, and it's very important of this. You can take, I don't, where's my grandson? Never mind. You can, I've been working on Jordan's house. And I said, raise your right hand. He raises the left one, you know. And I said, we'll never throw a rock at daddy's window. No, sir. You know, he's got a handful of rocks in his hands and his pocket. But no. what happens is you can take a pebble at a window and you can throw a rock at it. And it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And it's no big deal. But maybe after the hundredth little pebble, the thing finally cracks and goes through the window. Dia. It penetrates past the glass. Here's the problem. For you this morning that don't believe what I'm saying, for years and months, your enemy has been throwing little things along your way. It's not a big deal. It may be that person on the third row on that side in a black shirt. It may be. But it may everything be about this and that and your boss and your next door neighbor and this and that and this and that and somebody you work with and somebody you sit with. And it's not a big deal. But what happens is once the accusations start, it's not a big deal, not a big deal. But your enemy will accuse you. And he'll remind you of your past over and over and over and over and over and remind you of your, 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 your wife's past or your husband's past or your family's past over and over. And then it's through the night in the middle of the night and somebody gave you a dirty look at the time. It wasn't a big deal, but at that time it becomes a big deal until one day it gets into your heart. Diabolos. 
Satan will accuse you from the day you gave your life to Jesus. But somewhere through the process, if you're not careful, which what happens is this, it gets in. And once it ever gets in, it'll change your course. You're not the same. So for you to say, well, hateful words and unkind looks, it's not a big deal. Sure it is. That's something that somebody did to me 15 years ago. I forgot about it. No, you have not. Because I, I watch the way you shake hands or look at them. You have not forgot. Somebody that has, has promised they would do something at the altar, they did not do that. What started out to be the love boat turned to be the Titanic. I understand. But I will tell you through the years that that thing has penetrated and it's got in past your mind. It's in your heart. And that's what Lucifer's job wants to do is to contaminate, to, to disrupt and destroy the gifting that God has given to you. Because if anybody should be happy, it should be us. If anybody should be excited about life, it should be us. If anybody should be encouraging, it should be us. But we find ourselves constantly barely getting in this door. Because now then we understand Lucifer is his name. Satan is what he does on a regular basis. And the end product of it, if it's not careful, it gets in us and it changes our course of nature. So once we know that, we're going to examine a little bit the scripture before we get to prayer. And I want to examine this verse. Satan does three things or the devil does three things, your enemy. The first one, he comes to steal. I'm talking about you. Your enemy is making plans to do three things in your life. He's making plans right now to do three things, to steal, to kill, and destroy you. That came from the words of Jesus himself. So can we get a better amen than that? You know what he's telling you? You better be careful. I'm giving you some great warning. The first word is steal is where we get a word for klepto. And klepto is a word by definition. It means to save a lot of lectures. It's a professional pickpocketer. What well, is? It's a professional pickpocketer. That's all they do. It's where we get a word for a kleptomaniac. The word klepto is a word, and he uses these words very particular dealing with you. Now watch this. And he's dealing with religious people. John 10 is about false religion. It's about false doctrine, false teachers. Now these teachers are inspired by Satan or the devil. But this is, the, this is the effect that false religion and false teaching will have on your life, those that have been gifted or graced by God. Number one, he's going to do everything he can to remove it from you, and you're not even aware of it. Now, I told you last week when I got saved, I didn't need somebody to haul me to the back and explain to me I got saved. I got saved. I didn't need somebody to tell me to sign a card and, and do this, that you'll feel better. I gave, I gave my sin to God and he gave me his son, Jesus, for salvation. I got saved, brother. And I've been saved ever since. But sometimes if you're not careful, if the enemy's making plans for your, for your life because he is poor and he is wretched and, and he is, is on his way to destruction, he's not happy that any God's people is recipients of anything of the grace of God, and including you. He doesn't like it. 
So he's going to do everything in his power to keep you from having it. So one of the first things he'll do, that he'll steal it from you and you're not even aware of it. Now, we're going to find that in a moment. There are two words for the word thieves in the Greek lexicon. One is klepto and then one is a robber with force. He does not use the word klepto here. Nobody holds a gun to your head and say, give me, give me your happiness. You can't do that. If you're not careful, your enemy will pickpocket your joy, your happiness, your love, your laughter, your life, and you're not even aware of it. And sometimes he'll use other people to pickpocket that and you don't even know it's gone until you go to pay a bill. I know, I know last week you come in there bubbling and happy and joyful and all these things. And the place was running over people. But if you're not careful this week, during the week, you've hung around wrong company. And little did you realize that they were sent by your enemy to pickpocket your joy, your laughter, your clean mind, your honest heart. Hmm. And before you know it, you used to have love and laughter and liberty and life and joy in the Holy Spirit. And now it's gone. Your enemies pickpocketed you and you weren't even aware of it. You wasn't even aware that somebody took it. The second thing, he used the word kill, thuo. The word thuo not only does he want to pickpocket you or remove the blessings of God that God's given you, because if he's happy, Philip, he doesn't like it. And Burley, if you're joyful, he doesn't like it. And Bill, if you're content, your enemy doesn't like it. So he's going to do everything in his power to remove that from you. And, and so case in point, he's not dumb enough to know to walk into a room and say, hand it over because you're not going to hand that over. So he brings people to your life that will remove it from you. And then you go, I don't know. I had it last week. Well, where'd it go? I don't know. Where did you lay it? I didn't lay it anywhere. That's my keys, my wallet, my knife, my glasses, you know. I don't know. And then you begin to understand, wait a minute. I went to dinner with this someone. I had a conversation with this someone. And a conversation started up and it wasn't that profitable and, I, and it ended up talking about the pastor and the associate pastor and the piano player and the pastor was running off the piano player and I'm the same guy. And, and then before you know it, before you know it, what's this? Your love and your laughter and your happiness and your content is gone. Thuo was a word means sacrifice. And so when you first use the word kill, not only does he want to rob you without your knowing of it, because what happens is there's nothing more painful is to go somewhere and you realize somebody has taken your currency. I can't pay for nothing. I can't, I can't even enjoy the day. I can't enjoy the party. I can't enjoy church because I'm spiritually broke. Everything that I had is gone and somebody took it. The word kill is a word for sacrifice and sacrifice means it's more than a murder of an animal. Um, some of you pretty well know this, but thuo is a word that it means to surrender or to give up something that you love dearly. Sacrifice. So it's kind of like the chicken and the hog. They got together and the chicken said, hey, the farmer wants breakfast. I'll give the eggs, you provide the bacon. 
One's an offering. One's a sacrifice. Once you lose your giftings that God has given you. Now, some of you are going to say, can I lose my salvation? No. If a man's been born again by the Holy Spirit, called by God, you cannot lose your security towards heaven, but you can live in hell the rest of your days. And some of you are now. And the word hell, and that shocks a lot of people if you're visiting. I'm, I'm, I'm not a cusser, but the word hell, by definition, it means a, a garbage dump that's on fire. Something that was something to somebody, and now then somebody threw it on the side of the wall, and now they burn it. And it's just constant cindering and smoke of dead bodies of, of animals and furniture and debris because they didn't have sanitation departments back then. So when Jesus talks about hell... He's talking about more than just a literal hell under the earth. He said, you people are living in hell. Something that I've given you had life and have meaning. Now then it's laying in waste and it's burning and it's very stenchful to the smell. We've lost it. Not only does your enemy want to rob you because there's a reason why he wants to rob you. Say with me, why is that? I'm glad you asked because once you lose everything that in this life that God has given you, then you will give up the very thing that you love the most. You let it go. What's the use? We know people that lost their job, that, that jumped off buildings. Crazy. Birds don't do that. Birds don't jump off buildings or run in front of Mack trucks because God's their provider. See, this morning, when you understand this principle that your enemy wants to strip you from all the blessings that God has given you and pickpocket you, whether it be by the spiritual things or by natural people, you'll wake up one day and this is what you'll say. What's the use? I'll just give it up. It's all a lie anyway. That guy's full of hot air. The more I pray, the sicker I get. The more I sing, the more rebellious my children become. It doesn't work. I tried it and it won't work. And the word kill means to sacrifice something that you love. It's not necessarily the murder of it. It's the, the releasing of something that you love most, whether it be your family, a marriage, a commitment, a friendship, or a commitment to the church. Something that you really used to love and because your enemy has pickpocketed you because he said this, if I can pickpocket them and take it from them, then they'll surrender and give it up. If I don't heal their body, they'll quit. If I don't allow them to get a pay raise, they'll quit the church. If I can bring things along their ways to prove that God is, doesn't love them on a, on, on a goosebump basis, they'll all say, what's the use? It doesn't work. And some of you are quiet because you're there right now. In the last 30 something years, I've seen it happen to a lot of people with great intentions walk in the door and before long, they're out the door and they just say, I quit. I surrender. To sacrifice something that you love. And number three, 
Matter of fact, I wrote, the devil's mission is for you to sacrifice and surrender everyone and everything that is valuable to you. Not that you would do this, but you, some of you really used to care about others in this church. Some of you really used to hug and embrace and care about people because through the years, something's happened now that you'll give them a nod or a wink or, but on one side, I'm not blaming you if you don't have it. Because you can't give something, Lynn, that you don't have. So I'm not blaming you that, that you're not embracing one another with love and respect and going out of your way. But I'm telling you that I understand that's a part of what's happened when you're being pickpocketed by your enemy. And he's making plans to do this, to rob you. That you'll just say, I quit. It's not worth it. It'll never work. You can have this whole thing. And walk out the door. And then the next step is the result of that. It's called destroy. Aplumi is a word, but in the Greek, it means to be, to lie in waste, to be trashed, devastated. It means in ruin beyond repair. One definition in the, in the Hebrew Bible calls it to be beaten beyond recognition. Isaiah 52 talks about Jesus on the cross. The Bible said his vicious was so marred, they beat him up so bad. You think that only his back got it. Uh, his face was beaten up so bad. The Bible says his, his vicious was so marred, they couldn't tell if he was a man or an animal. You better get that little anemic Jesus off the, your wall. Did you hear me? You, be, you better get that little, little white Jesus off your wall that ain't got a mark on him except three nail holes. They absolutely mutilated his body. And the reason why this is so important is because there are some days you'll look in the mirror and you'll say, I don't know if I'm a man or an animal. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I want to be married. I don't know if I want to stay. I don't know if I want to, if I want to just take the next ship and head to somewhere. See, what happens is, is that once you lose everything that God has given you, and once you give up on everything that was important to you, then you lay in waste, ruin, that's beyond repair. And now then, when you look in the mirror, what's this? I don't recognize the person that I've become. Now, I know some of you are so pretty, you would never say this, but it is possible for even the children of God to find themselves in this state of, of, of discontent so much that when you look in the mirror, you say, I don't, I don't know what happened. I, brought my, I bought my brother a plaque and it said, in every old person, there's a young person saying, what in the world happened? You know. <laughs> I still think I can climb ladders. I still think I can climb roofs and I may climb them. I can't get down anymore. But you know, inside me going, you can do this. And then my, your body goes, you cannot do this. If we're not careful, because our enemy has pickpocketed us through the years and we've lost currency and joy and happiness and love and laughter in life, then what happens is we give up on family, we give up on friends, we give up on the church, we just, you can all have it. And then we find ourselves by ourselves and alone. And we find ourselves laying in waste and ruin. And matter of fact, the word 
perdition. As Jesus called Judas Iscariot, it means you've wasted what I've given you. Perdition. The son of perdition. You've wasted what I've given you. And it's very possible for you to look in the mirror and say, I don't even recognize the person that I was when I first started walking with Jesus. What happened? You can blame me. That's, that's, that's pretty convenient. But if you find yourself poor, bankrupt, empty, broke, gave up on everything and anyone you've loved and find your place in a place of waste and perdition and, and a, being burnt out, you can thank your enemy for that. And your enemy loves for you to blame God. But God said, I'm here to give you life. But your enemy is the one that's come to steal, to kill and destroy you. Can your enemy take you out? Absolutely not. If you belong to God, absolutely not. But he can put you in a place where you absolutely feel useless and worthless. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, there's a way that we can prevent a lot of that. It's called prayer. Anybody know what it's like to be pickpocketed? Anybody know what it's like to say, I just want to give up? Anybody know what it's like to feel like I'm just, I wasted my life and I feel like I'm a waste today and I'm useless and I'm worthless and all that stuff. And when I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. We're all there only on days that ends with why. Why in the wide world of sports do you think God gave you a gift called prayer? Because he knew you would need it every day of your life. Aren't you glad God didn't say, hey, you can pray with me Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays from 9 a.m. to 9.04. I mean, God just, he said, he said in, in Hebrews 4.60, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Anytime, any place. It don't have to be a church. It could be driving down the road. I'll tell you what, if there's any place that you need prayer, it's dealing with Ardmore traffic in front of Walmart. That's when you can pray. <laughs> Cast out demons and all those other things. Yeah. Matthew 21.13. Jesus said unto them, this is the second time he's cleansed the temple. The first time he does it in Luke, but this is the second time towards the end of his life. He does it twice. This is toward the end. The first time in John is the first time, the very beginning. Now this is the second time. He had to do it twice. So if you're not aware of this, it's not a one-time cleansing. Sometimes you've got to cleanse the temple more than once. Sometimes your demons won't leave. Just say, you say, go. And then they say, we're not going anywhere. We've been here so long. We like it here. You understand me? Yes. Oh, I know what they'll tell you on TV. Lay your hands on yourself and say, in the name of Jesus, you got to leave. It doesn't mean they'll all leave. Some may leave, but most of them won't. Right. But anyway, Jesus said unto them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. Now, I made this statement last week, so I, I owe it to you uh, to talk about it. This word thieves is a word called latex. And... Um, it's the same words as the two thieves on the cross. And by definition, this word is not a kleptomaniac. It's not someone that just picks your pocket. These are people that will use physical and emotional force against someone else to threaten or to manipulate them to get their way. By definition, this word thief is a word called robber, a plunder. They'll kill you if they need to. They will, they will kill you. Not a kleptomaniac. A kleptomaniac is just someone who wants to take your property. That's one thief. But this thief, 
is someone that absolutely will stick a knife in your back. They will cut your throat. They will do whatever it has to be done to get whatever they want from you. So who's he speaking about? Who's he talking about? So we, we know what's going on in the temple and, and we're not going to talk about it today, but you've heard me talk about everything's going on in the temple. But now then we have temple police or the Sadducees and the scribes. Those are the people, what we refer to as the temple police. Those that carry the first five books of the law of Moses and they would meet people at the door. So the idea, this word prayer we found out last week, by definition, is where we get a word called prosuke, it means to transfer burdens or to exchange vows. Prayer. To transfer burdens or to exchange vows with the transfer burdens. Kind of like we talked about last week on the wedding vows. I, so-and-so, take you and so-and-so to be my wife, blah, 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 blah. It's not a multiple choice. Not for better or worse. You can't choose better. But what happens is we, we talked about the Trinity last week, that the relationship between the God, the Father, God, the Son, the God, the Holy Spirit, it was the word prosuke. It means there's great intimacy, intimacy within these three. And when people exchange wedding vows, we talked about last week, not only are they saying words, but they're not looking on their phone while they're saying words. They're looking at one another. And any person that going through a wedding ceremony that won't look at the other one and their eyes are not locked, I'll pretty well stop it and dismiss it. So what happens is this word prayer, it means to transfer or exchange something, vows, but with but there's a relationship involved. So it was set up, Jesus said, the idea that people were invited to come to the house of God. You're invited. And I want to do you a great injustice, as I told you last week, is because some of you have so many burdens and problems and pains and hurts that the last thing you need in these yellow walls is a sideshow and a circus. I've been accused of being a killjoy. I've been accused of police brutality spiritually. The last thing you need, and I know what some of you think, oh, if we could just ramp up the music and we can get a, a, a spiritual train going on here, we'll shout, you'll do that. But I've, I've, I've robbed you of what this thing is all about. Am I spirit filled? Absolutely. Do I speak in tongues? Absolutely. Do I do it here? Absolutely not. And there's reasons for it. I'm not hypocritical about it. But some of you don't believe in it or exercise it. So what's the use of, of me putting more burdens on you? I've robbed you. If I've done anything to keep you from coming in here and exchanging something with God. So when I first got saved, you know, they got, they drug you down to the front and they shook you. And some told you to hang on and some told me to let go. I don't even know what to do. This place was a place of exchange, Burl. 
The house of the Lord was a place of exchange, prayer. It was designed that you could bring something to God and God in turn exchange it for something else. God said, you bring me your hurts, your cares, your guilt, your shame, your loneliness, your emptiness, your lack of self-worth, and you bring it to this place and you get still, and I'll give you mercy, love, goodness, and forgiveness. We'll exchange it. How many knows God got the worst of the deal? We got it good. And I said, let me get this right. I'm gonna give you my sin and you're gonna give me salvation. And God said, that's how it works. You mean tell me I can come to the church and I can give you my stupidity for last week and you're gonna give me saving grace for my mind? God said, that's how it works. It's a pretty good deal. Now some of you, you're bringing in by the truckloads, would you please cut down on some of that? but I found that God's got more grace than we have sin. Yes. Amen. So here's, the, here's how this works. But the people, the scribes, the religious people would not let them in. Couldn't get in. They couldn't get in. And, and whether they got up Aaron, whether they actually got in or not, but they were not allowed to get in to exchange what was set to happen in the church. So now then they are bringing something to God in prayer or exchange, transfer burdens, because we told you last week, sheep was never designed to be a pack animal. You were never designed to carry anything. I would say to you, what's wrong with you? Well, I've been carrying this guilt and shame, why? You were never designed as a sheep to carry anything. Sheep were never designed to carry burdens. They came into this place, which Jesus said, it's a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. And this is what happens, what's this? When these people, brought what they had to God in prayer. They ex first expressed with a vow, God, I give you this, my stuff. That was the first step in prayer. I give you this, here it is. But when the scribes and the Pharisees would not let them enter in, watch this, that they went ahead and say, I give you this. But they were forced to take it home with them. And they had to stick it in their pocket and they left in a worse condition than they did when they got there. When you give it to God and you take it back, 
you are now a thief. A den of thieves. What was a house of prayer, now then it is a breeding ground of thieves because what's happened is that when you give something to God in prayer and something or someone has interrupted the exchange and you stick it back in your pocket, you just stole what belonged to God. Has anybody stole anything? Has anybody stole anything that you knew you shouldn't have stole? Oh, the rest of you are lying. I know you have. Don't look at me like you're Miss Good Shoes. You have. We've stuck stuff in our pocket. Have you, Chuck? Yes? That didn't belong to you? And you knew better? A quick story, I went to Lighthouse Assembly of God when I was young and had wigs wag a bag. Remember that? Old man wig was great. One time, he's funny. Anybody know old man wig? Great guy. My dad was funny, but went to, I told guy, went to wigs wag a bag, went to, was going to the lake. My dad goes in there and he said, wig, what I need is two things. He said, yes, sir, Mr. Ham. He said, he said, I need a dozen minutes and a sandwich. And wig said, well, which one you me do first? He said, well, I think I want you to make the sandwich first. But anyway, but I would, I would kind of sneak out kind of early Sunday school and I'd sneak out and I'd run across the parking lot because dad would give me a quarter for Sunday school. And I'd try to make change, you know, in the offering paper and keep me a nickel because you could go buy Zots. That's way older than most of you. So you could buy two Zots for like a penny or two. And so I had it figured out. So me and Del Barry and a few other guys, it was most, it, I know, you know, Del Barry. And, and so we run over there. We had about five minutes in between Sunday school and church. So we run right over there and old wig, you know, he, he, he looked, he goes, now this way, he goes, uh, Mr. Ham. He said, was this Sunday school money? And here I was about eight. And I said, um, Anytime you use the word well, there's a, there's a story coming with it. Well, you know, well is the first word of an excuse that really it's fabricated. How come you're late for work? Well, you know, that's what he told me. He said, he, he said, you take it and you go put that money in the offering. When you take something that doesn't belong to you, it's burning a hole in you. Here's the deal. When you come to this place of, of prayer, it's my job to make sure no one is distracting you from doing exactly what this place is called. It's a place that you can come in here and your mind can be still, your heart can be quiet, your emotions can be seated, and you can say with an honest heart, I'm not gonna make it publicly, but I've been a rat this week, and God, I give you my short temper, I'm gonna give you my anger, I just, I just give you all my imperfections of what comes in the human body. And I ask you this week in prayer, would you just give me your grace and your goodness that I can face this week with joy and laughter. And anytime that there's a circus and a sideshow that's going on in this service, they have just robbed you from the very greatest thing that God has ever given you, a place of prayer, exchange.
But here's the problem. When you come here and you did something really dumb and maybe years ago you gave it to God, but you stuck it back in your pocket, you just stole it. And somebody would say through the years, I just can't get past that. Well, here's the reason why you can't get past it is you're a thief. You're carrying around something in 1980 you gave to God and you stuck it back in the pocket and you've been carrying around something that belonged to God because in prayer you gave it to God and he forgave you. But when he forgave you, you stuck it back in your pocket and you have been a thief since 1980. And that's the why you feel like you got yuck spiritually. And when you stole something, how'd that make you feel? I don't steal nothing. I don't care what it is. I used to, but I didn't like the feeling. I don't care if it's a dollar bill or a quarter. If it don't belong to me, it don't belong to me. So here this morning, are you feeling a little spiritually yuck? Don't answer that. I mean, if you're feeling spiritually yucky, could it be that you are carrying this feeling of what a thief is? That guilt and that shame doesn't belong to you. Hurtful words doesn't belong to you. That somebody said something to you a long time ago does not belong to you. You gave it to God in a vow of exchange and you go, God, here it is. And God said, I'll take it. And before he took it, you stuck it in your pocket and run off with you. You just stole something from God. And that's what it means, a den of thieves. This morning, I think the question It's not the fact that God will forgive you because he has already. I think the question is this morning is, did you take it back? And if you did take it back, you stole it. And if you did steal it, that's what a thief feels like. And I don't like it. So this is a house of prayer. This is a place of exchange. You can bring your hate and your anger. You can bring your temper. You can bring your shame. You can bring your guilt. And you can bring all these things. And you can sit here in a quiet service. And you can say to yourself, with every head bowed, please, this morning, God, it sounds too good to be true. It sounds impossible but I'll bring you my hurt and I'll bring you my past. I'll bring you unkind words and hateful looks and glares. But those I used to look up to, I don't have a compartment for those anymore. I'm not designed to carry that around. I just want to give it to you. In exchange, I'll take your grace and your goodness and your love and your compassion and God, I want to give you some heads up. I'll probably be back tomorrow, but, but I'll take it today. This is a place of prayer.
this is a place where you can come. God is greater than your sin. God is greater than your shame. God's got more grace than you have imperfections. Father, help us as the people of God to make sure that we are not creating thieves in this local assembly, that we are not giving these people the opportunity to give their burdens and their problems to you, but we encourage them to take them home with them. They don't belong to them any longer. I give you my worry of the day, you're going to give me peace of mind. I give you my anxieties and my cares and my stress, and you're going to give me quietness and confidence. I'm going to give you my lack of trust and tolerance for people, and you're going to give me patience and perseverance, whatever the day may hold. And this can only be accomplished through prayer. Teach us to pray, Lord. So for you sitting this morning, it's very simple, it's very easy. I'm not for sure what you brought into this place today, but I'm gonna ask you two things. Number one, is it the same thing that you gave to God 15 years ago? And if it is, you stole from Him. That didn't belong to you. And today you need to give it back Admit it, quit it, and get on with it. And you need to leave it right here. Because being a thief, there's no feeling like stealing from God. And number two, maybe you're here this morning for the first time, and you need to just cast all your cares upon Him today. You found a place to do it. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say, amen. Stand with me this morning. Give the Lord a praise offering if you would, please. God is good all the time. There's nothing this morning that I've told you that was not true. There's an old song that says, bring them there, bring them there. Take your burdens to the Lord and bring them there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. What's burdening you today? Why are you so heavy hearted? Somebody pickpocketed your joy? I understand. Gave up on people? I understand. Laying in, in, in a heap pile of rubbish and ruin and you think you're beyond repair? I understand, but the good news is this morning, that's why God is giving you the manifold grace of God called prayer. That he'll turn your beauty to ashes. He'll give you joy for mourning. Come in your service if you'll make your way today. Some of you don't, we, we celebrate Holy Communion every week here. It's the last thing Christ commanded us to do. And one of the graces here before long, we're going to deal with Holy Communion for two or three weeks and, and it'll be eye-opening to you, hopefully. 
Holy Communion, the last thing he tells us, do this and remember me. This morning I was getting ready for the service and I turned around in one of my desk drawers. I was looking for something. I don't know who knows. And I found an old photo album that Sherry DeVore brought back to Gail and I. And there was oh about 20 pictures of, they're 30 years old probably, of, of the kids and Jordan and Gail and me with a goofy hairdo. And it was just funny. It was just funny. It made me remember good times. Holy Communion, it makes us remember and it brings to memory the life and the love of Christ. He sat down with his disciples that night that was absolutely their whole life was in disarray. And he said, for 1500 years, you've been celebrating the, the Passover the unleavened bread, which represents a sinless bread. But he said, now then I and the bread of life that comes down from the heavens. And if any man eat of me, he will never hunger again, John 6. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is, is symbolic of the lamb's blood that was taken back at the first Passover and the, and the blood was taken in, in the shape of a cross that the death angel, the Abaddon, would pass over that night. And Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and my Father will take my blood and put it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And every time that you celebrate the cup and the bread, you'll remember me. Father, thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. And so for the next few moments, we're gonna bring you our cares and our fears and our despairs and our unknowns. And, and we're gonna bring you those things that we've kept in our pocket, that we stole from you, that we're spiritually feeling yucky. We're gonna let them go today because we don't want them anymore. And restore unto us the joy of our salvation in Christ's name. Amen.